migration visas. Migration program. Our migration program. The new migration strategy. Migration. Immigration. A migration. Immigration. Hacked Migration and Appeal Experts. Hello and welcome to another engaging episode of Australian Migration Talks. I'm your host, Alex. And today, we are delving into a significant shift in Australia's migration policy. The recent announcement from the Migration Minister about scrapping the investment visa program has sparked conversations and concerns across the nation. Joining us is Jessica, a seasoned migration expert, to help us navigate through this change and understand its implications. Whether you are an investor affected by this decision or simply interested in involving landscape of Australian migration, this episode is for you. So let's dive in and uncover the facts behind this policy shift. All right, glad to join again. Jessica, can you briefly explain why the Australian government is planning to scrap the investment visa program? Well, I guess the Australian government, their main message is saying that this visa hasn't created the enough economic outcomes as they had hoped for. So um, they they are arguing that this visa is used by corrupt officials and um, money laundering purposes. It's not actually retrieving the um, economic outcomes that they had initially hoped. Mm -hmm. So um, to help you understand how the significant investment visa works, Mm -hmm. um, I'll just go through it and uh, a little bit. For you to understand so basically it involves the investor investing the five million australian dollars mm-hmm. with australian fund managers for four years or four years and three months depending on um, their policy at the time of lodgement mm-hmm. before they the investors could retrieve their principal funds back so um, at the end of the day um, they can get their money back after four years, it's basically just lending Australia that $5 million for four years before they can have it back. Mm-hmm. So when the visa was initially introduced, the mm-hmm. core objective was to create economic values for Australian markets. Mm-hmm. So these funds are supposed to arrive at the banks of private companies and encourage business mm-hmm. innovations in Australia. Ideally, Australia could benefit from the cash flow of the $5 million Australian dollars for mm. the four years that they've invested with us. And mm. then this was supposed to create economic outcomes. Mm. But, um, you know, investment managers should be, could lend this money out to sport ministers who required startup funds, mm-hmm. or they could invest this money in scientific projects that could potentially draw great returns and technological advancements for Australia. Mm-hmm. But however, past investment activities with um, the SIV programs mostly concentrated on property development. Mm-hmm. Really little, not as much on advanced technology inputs. Mm-hmm. Uh, since, um, you know, the 5 million funds was, was invested with fund managers as well. So there's really little investment encouragement from the investors themselves. Mm-hmm. The investors, you know, since they have minimal engagement and involvement in their own investment funds, they're, they're passive about, you know, further investments in Australia. Mm-hmm. They think, you know, and, you know, at the end of the day, after four years, I get my money back and that and that's it. So, um, so after they get their money back, they usually use the funds to buy maybe buy properties in Australia, or maybe 
you know, use it for something else, but less in the investment fields. They usually just use it for personal use mostly. So when, you know, and also for many of these investors, they don't really live in Australia that much. Mm-hmm. So the SIV um, visa residential requirement is to live in Australia for 40 days per year. So that's really little. Mm-hmm. And many of the SIV clients, they, they, they have a lot of business commitments outside Australia. So they really live just enough to get their PR granted. So mm-hmm. 160 days within a four-year program. And mm-hmm. that's very minimal. So when they live little, they don't. They are actually not, um, you know, generally classified as Australian tax residents. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, their investment returns are tax exempt. So, in other words, taxpayers these these investments they don't have to pay tax against their investment holdings. Mm-hmm. They don't have to pay tax against their investment earnings when they, you know, when they not are not seen as Australian tax resident. So that means less tax income for Australia as well. Mm-hmm. So basically, the government is just simply saying that, you know, when they compare to, you know, the outcomes for skilled visas or employer-sponsored visas, mm-hmm. these skilled visas and, you know, employment visas, when they actually work in Australia, they would pay a lot of tax towards their income. Mm-hmm. And and then when, when you count the years past, right, they, they, they find that, you know, for people who work in Australia and pay tax, those tax outcomes are actually greater than what, uh, you know, an SIV would generate. So that's why the Australian government's simply saying that, you know, the SIV program is failing in achieving the ideal economic outcomes. That's why they're scraping it. Last year, the migration minister announced data stating that investor migrants just contribute $600,000 Australian dollars over the lifetime, while skilled migrants contribute more than $3 million Australian dollars. Is this also one of the reasons for the would like to scrape in the investment visa program? Well, the thing is, for economic outcomes, um, you know, led by investor visas, you can't really just label that against their tax payments, because you know when, when governments they when they measure out economic outcomes, right? For skilled visas, it's very easy to measure that because they will look at you know how much they these people have spent on education, and then they look at how much tax they pay, and then mm-hmm. they just simply line up line that up and say oh they have paid a lot a lot of tax mm. but in reality right for for investment visas you mm. know sometimes you in you you invest on projects and they don't actually generate returns sometimes you make a loss mm. and that money you know when when government sees that money they they think that you know they they don't really see that as an economic outcome but it's actually something that's already imported by the um investors themselves so it's very hard to you know draw a line between you know what kind of economic outcomes you could you know have for investment visa because it goes beyond that you know for you know for the investment innovation streams they have mm-hmm. to employ employees and mm-hmm. you know, and then employees could pay tax as well and company pay tax so that's that as well but generally it goes more than that it's just it's not only about the personal tax that they pay because sometimes government they only see tax and that's it and also these investors they 
they actually, you know, they, they invest not only in, you know, the um, investment program. Sometimes they, some of them actually, you know, have Australian companies, they establish business in Australia. Mm-hmm. And some, you know, they, they purchase investment properties. Um, you know, it, it, all, it goes beyond that. So, and most of these SIV investors, it, it takes them a lot of uh, effort to get the money out. So once they get the money out, they're they're less less likely to you know transfer it back to their home country so so in in other words um you know it's it's not really you know that good just to conclude um that you know investor visas don't generate as much you know mm-hmm. economic outcomes just by simply looking at personal tax because like i said before you know um Yes, these people, a lot of these people are tax exempt and mm-hmm. they don't pay as much tax. But you mm-hmm. know, when when they buy properties in Australia, you have to count towards the the the, the percentage of um you know the the surcharge um the the tax the stamp duty surcharge payments that they pay. You know, the, these foreign people they actually pay a lot of um money towards tax and all that, but not just reflected through the visa and personal tax themselves. Mm. It, it goes beyond that. We know more than 50% of investment visa applicants are Chinese. So is this change targeting Chinese people? Well, um, I wouldn't say it's targeting, but the thing is, yes, um, a lot of um, these Chinese people, uh, in fact, um, if we look at the um, New South Wales nominated um you know the the portion of national you know Australia, Chinese passport holders it's it goes to more than 85 percent mm. so yes um you know most of these SIV visa holders they're Chinese and um and many has saying that you know they 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 see it as a money money laundry um visa because in China typically um China the Chinese government controls the money flow of, from China to other countries, like mm-hmm. each person, they have their limit, mm-hmm. you know, limit per quota for mm-hmm. person who who could um the per year that the, there's a fund limit that they can transfer out mm-hmm. per year. So that's why um so Chinese investors when they need to invest money into Australia, a lot of them tr- uses um you know inv- international fund transfer services. And mm. also, and that is sometimes seen as money laundering to the eyes of many. So, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, the way how they invest. And, you know, and there are also stories where, you know, um, Australian, you know, Chinese officials, maybe when, when they, you know, when they have funds and they want to um, transfer outside to Australia to park their money. Yeah, so the SIV could be a, you know, potential solution to them. But I would say, you know, those are the only the smaller, you know, groups of people. But like most SIV holders, you know, it's it's not that um it's 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 not that typical because I wouldn't really classify all of them as corrupt officials because during the initial, before they invest, they have to apply for the provisional visa, the 188 visa. And that visa requires them to actually um, prove the source source of their fund. So Mm -hmm. they actually, you know, they actually, the the Department of um, Home Affairs, they actually go through the source of their fund in details. They ask for bank statements. They ask for evidence of their earning. They ask for the tax 
that these people pay in their domestic home countries to show that these funds are, are you know legally acquired so that step is already done in the first stage then i wouldn't really say that you know most of these funds are seen as you know illegal funds that's you know used by corrupt officials to park their funds in australia i wouldn't really say that you know because it's it's already been filtered in the 188 visa provisional stage so if you know, these corrupt officials manage to get their funds across mm. Australia, then it means that the, you know, the, the, the department delegates, they haven't assessed the visa properly enough for that, for that to part go pass through the, their assessment. What happens to people who are planning to apply or already in the middle of applying for the investment visa? Well, well, the thing is, um, Usually, well, I would say because there's a lot of um, um, voices out there saying that, you know, um, the government is planning to scrape all the business innovation program, the, the investment visas, you know, even for those who are already in the middle of applying. Even in, in the middle of applying? Yeah, yeah. So that there's, means there's that voices they, they already paid visa application fee. Well, there's voices to that, but um, but I, to be honest, I would look at it more practically. Mm -hmm. So um, so for you to understand it better, the the SIV program has two stages. Mm -hmm. So the first stage is the subclass subclass one eight eight visa. So they need to apply for this visa first and have it approved, um, before holding. And that visa will grant them either four years or four and four years and three months um visa period, and they must hold their visa throughout that period before applying for the permanent eight 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 visa. Mm -hmm. So um, so for back to your question, for those who had already applied for the eight 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 visa program, yeah. I'd say that they have a fair access to visa outcomes because they've already made the valid mm -hmm. visa applications. So it would be entirely against the migration law to deprive them of their final visa outcome after the application has occurred. So I would say no for those who, you know, apply for the permanent visa already. I say that they would have their visa outcomes. The government is unlikely to deprive them of their final visa outcome because those applications are already valid application. You know, the, co the government can't scrape you know, their visas just because they want to, because they have to act in accordance with migration law. Mm. If they want to change migration law, they have to go through a lot of stuff. So, and I wouldn't say that would work. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, and these are voices only in the news. Like nothing has been done to the migration system yet because we, we haven't actually had any, you know, official news from the government, from the policy mm you know, makers that they are changing and they're, they're scraping this visa. We haven't heard any of that yet. It's just, at the moment, it's just voices from the media. Mm. So, and then for those who, you know, for those who applied um, the 188 visa and has, hasn't, haven't received the result, and for those who have been approved of the 188 visa and waiting are waiting to apply for the 88 visa, mm -hmm. um, then these people aren't, aren't on the permanent AAA visa boat yet because they haven't applied for the permanent visa stage, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then, you know, that they're, they're, they're considered less, you know, fortunate. But this thing is, I would still say that the government, according to the past, um, you know, 
grandfather provisions that the government has offered to other visas when they made changes to the whole visa system. They they they're usually grandfathering provisions for those, um, you know, who have already applied and who are waiting to apply and you know waiting to transfer to the permanent stage. I would say they have a still have a, you know, a fair chance of getting their visa because they have already applied. Mm -hmm. If the uh, government reject the one AA visa applicants, do they have the rights to appeal? Well, it depends on. Usually, they they are if they're in Australia. Mm -hmm. If they're outside Australia, mm. it it really depends on. Because because these visas are state nominated, so mm. I would say they would they would have a chance of um you know appealing again with appealing with the AT if they have an applicant in Australia. In my memory, about ten or fifteen years ago, the Australian government rejected a lot of short skill migration visa applicants, and they return all the visa application fee. It still will happen this time. Because when when that happened, I'm sure the migration law would may not have been as matured as what we have at the moment right now. Mm -hmm. So at the moment, we have a really um a complete a comprehensive set of um migration regulations and migration act. So mm -hmm. I would expect a more ideally acceptable you know um solution rather than just refusing or. Applications and refunding the fees because it's not only about the fees. I mean, mm. for those one AA visa holders, well, applicants when they lodge their visas, um, the visa fees against these type of visas aren't cheap as well. I mean, just mm. by refunding the fees, it's it's not generally not enough. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, with the investment visa off the table, what other visa options can? The potential investors consider for migrating to Australia. The first question I was asked is, how old are they? <laughs> when you say potential uh, okay. investors, yeah. how old are they? Mm -hmm. Because usually for skilled visas, there is a set of um, there's a set age limit at forty five mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. most skilled visas. Mm -hmm. so for example, for the one eight six, for the um, you know, for the skill visas the the 189190 mm. they, they there's a age limit at 45 mm. and um and you know and for the 186 you there are some age exemptions available but mm. it's really really hard it's it's not that um easy to access those age exemptions mm. so for those investors who are under 45 yes they can mm. either apply through you know, employee sponsor stream or the skill in independent or state nominated skilled visa streams, or even mm -hmm. consider going regional. Mm -hmm. At the moment, um, for skilled visa placements, mm. as announced by the government, the the you know the placements allocated against one eight nine, one nine zero, and four nine one aren't as many as you mm. know as we hoped for, and. Mm -hmm. uh, at the moment, we see a lot of um, placements allocated for the FOI to the employer sponsor stream. So maybe the employer sponsor stream could act maybe as a potential substitute for the, you know, investment visa. Because we know that the majority of applicants are typically aged more than forty years old. Yeah. Well, the thing is, um, there 
typically some options available. Just say that if the government hasn't introduced a new investment visa for those those people, just focusing on what we have on hand right now, they could potentially, these people could potentially invest in their children. So these children, they could um, potentially become the first stage, the first generation of the migrants in Australia first before they sponsor their parents. Uh -huh. Parent visa, so that's a poten potential solution. Uh -huh. Another solution maybe, um, they could become, you know, sponsored on four eight two visas, uh -huh. and then for the four eight two visas, there's a high income stream, uh -huh. and that high income stream at the moment it's around, I would say one. 160k to 170k at the moment mm. um per year and then once you reach that 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 figure that amount it, it increases every year so um once you reach that income threshold you mm. could um satisfy for an age exemption and then um there are also the um global talent stream so the mm. global talent if you're over the age of 55 and you have exceptional international, you know, um, excellence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know you have got a lot of you know in the innovation. You, you can prove that you will serve Australia well by, you know, bringing new advancements. Then that could be a potential pathway for 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 anyone who's over the age of fifty five. Mm. Yeah, so that, that could be another solution. What I can see is that Australian government not only requires money, but also intelligence now for the investment visa. Yes, in fact, um, I think from what I've heard, you know, they had a, the government had a long debate. They wanted to um, focus on, you know, lifting the investment threshold from five million to higher, maybe six million, and mm -hmm. they also wanted to place in English requirements on mm -hmm. the skilled visas. Mm -hmm. They also and education. Yeah, and they also wanted to increase place like the minimal, um, education qualifications that these investors must have. Mm -hmm. So um, so that as well. So the government was wanting to looking for you know people who would actually work in australia and you know bring this inspirations into australia through their work mm -hmm. and that's long debated um from my memory um the the government has actually um in the liberal government before mm -hmm. the labor came on stage the liberal government actually called out twice Mm -hmm. to um to change the the business innovation program mm -hmm. so back in 2020 that's mm -hmm. the first time when they called out mm -hmm. um, for public voices to um invite submissions in place to for ways where um they wanted to hear what the public has to say for mm -hmm. the business investment program mm -hmm. they asked um you know what the potential recommendations that the public would want to recommend the government to change the government mm. has put forward that they wanted to increase the investment threshold they wanted to place english qualification and skill um you know attributes in place as a requirement for this visa and then there was a lot of voices mm. i personally um 
you know, was involved in one of the submissions in 2021. Mm -hmm. And then I remember, um, you know, and then we, my submission was actually um, telling the government that if you did, um, you know, put, um, you know, age limits or skilled limits or, you know, or English requirements or qualification requirements, mm -hmm. that would actually cut off most of the SIV visas because I had at that time I had access to data pool mm. or um, application SIV applications that was lodged and approved and I found that um, for most more than half of the visa skilled SIV visa applicants that got their um, you know permanent visa these people um, they had no functional English um, mm. that you know and then they had below bachelor degree so they mm. had either diploma degrees or mm -hmm. or even high school degrees and mm. then um, and yeah so and they were also aged between 40 to 60 to mm -hmm. so that's like that's one of the most um, higher you know higher they're, they're actually much more older than you know what the government had hoped for mm -hmm. so so in the end um, if the government does place requirements to that kind of um, skilled visa program then obviously they would um, you know they would disclude all these people so that would cut off a lot mo the majority of the visa applicants that could apply that has enough money that mm -hmm. to apply for the five five um five million visa mm. but in my view right um if the government wants to you know you know to put that placement they could play they, they could place the requirements on but they could also offer exemption programs like yeah. you know if they could exempt your age if you you know if you want to invest a further five million or something or they could exempt the age requirement if they could prove that they have you know special patents or mm. special skills that could they could bring to australia so that could by the age yeah 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 because the age is a very challenging issue because you know for those people who have earned enough money to invest five million in australia mm. these people aren't young they're not likely to be young as well if they're young then these people have most likely gotten money from their parents what should people who intend to apply for investment visa do now do you have any advice on their next steps at the moment, I would say don't put their eggs in one basket. They mm. could consider um, similar programs like employer-sponsored programs. Mm. For example, many, like from my experience, many of these um, significant investment visa holder, holders and or applicants, I, mm. they, they, most of them ha have business in China. They, they, ha they actually have business and they're all they're running some sort of investment programs or something that could generate a lot of money. So, you know, so what they can do is that they can, you know, make use of their em employment experience and collect, you know, their mm. work experience and then, you know, help find ways to find recognition and mm. get skill ass assessment done to prove that they're general managers or, you know, financial executives, chief ex executive officers, etc. Like mm. try to fit themselves into skilled visa occupations and mm. then, um, and then obtain access to employer-sponsored visas because at the moment, while labor is on stage, I could say that the employer-sponsored visa is 
quite, you know, it's quite hot at the moment. Visas are being approved within two weeks, and um, and these these visas are being processed very soon. And there's a lot of placements for these visas, and we could see that there, are, you know, quicker migration pathways, um, you know, in place for the employers of sponsored visas. So that's why they could consider invest into a more um, faster way, I guess, rather than waiting for a new investment visa to come into place. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yes, indeed. I've I've seen those who who had had been in Australia, for example. I had a I had a client. They they had um they had a student visa in Australia, and then they ran a business. They were going to operate the business and um you know and build towards a um business innovation visa program in in the student visa. Yeah, yeah. Whilst they hold a student visa, they, you know, they operated the business for two years, and they were going to prepare to apply for the one AA visa under the business innovation stream. Mm. But uh, and then because there's no placements, and they waited and waited, mm-hmm. and then what they did was that um they made use of their business uh management management experience and um mm. and managed to you know nominate themselves as um. One one had nominated themselves as an as an accountant for their business. Another had um, you know, nominated themselves as a business um general manager. So that, and they they managed to get four eight two visas granted. So that's mm. really good. So is it possible to prepare the investment visa when they hold a visit visa in Australia or four eight two visa in Australia? Well, okay. So when you like look at visit visa, right? A visa visa doesn't offer work, right?、Mm. So that means um, if you are building towards a business under the business innovation program,、mm. if you are on a visa that doesn't allow you work, right? Then if they they build a business in Australia in investment visa, it's illegal. Well, because if you need to run a business, right, you need to actually work and generate profit,、mm. and and a visitor visa, what you can do on a visa. To the maximum is business. Um, the business activities are associated with more of a visitor type. It's it's、mm. it's they can inquire into a business, but they can't actually work in a business because even if you're running a business, you are actually doing work. So、mm. that work is not lawful when you don't have work permission. How about they hold four A two visa, the sponsor visa? Okay, for four A two visa, that's another question. Okay. So if you're holding a four eight two visa and you're working full time, right? Yeah. Obviously, you, you have the working rights. Yeah. So obviously, you need to work at your sponsored. Ah.、Uh, okay. You need to work for your sponsored employer, and you need to satisfy that, um,、mm. you know, that employment. But、mm. at the same time, if you can manage and prove that you can run a business and work full time,、mm. and not have that business. Hindering your, you know, your full time work,、mm-hmm. and proving that your full time work does not hinder your business activities,、mm-hmm. then yes, I will say why not. But、mm-hmm. but it's a very difficult thing. It's very you know it's a very difficult juggling thing because, um, I previously when when I did that student visa um. Um, client, a a student, they were on a student visa that only allowed them twenty. 
40 hours per fortnight work, right? Right. So when that uh, when that student um apply for the 188 visa um under the business innovation stream, um the when the department assessed that student, the Mm department had asked the student to prove that how can they manage a business. On a senior management day-to-day basis, when they only have twenty hours of work, right, and not mm-hmm. uh, per week, and not hindering their, you know, their studies, mm-hmm. and um, and that was okay because um, the students managed to draw, you know, a time schedule and show the department how they manage their business, how they, um, you know, prove that you know, um, manage their time, mm-hmm. so that was okay. But then when but then when you have a full-time work, then that's another problem. I would say, you know, it's not pos- it's it's not impossible, but mm. it would be very e- easily picked up by the department. And mm. the department would most likely inquire into that if the sponsor is entirely different to the mm. business that you're nominating for the 188 visa. All right. Thank you, Jessica, for your insights and for helping us understand the complexity behind the cancellation of the investment visa program. And a big thank you to our listeners for turning into Australian Migration Talks. As we wrap up today's episode, remember that while the landscape of migration is ever-changing, being informed and prepared is your best strategy. For more updates and insights into Australian migration, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Until next time, stay informed and navigate your migration journey with confidence. Goodbye for now.